Greetings and welcome to another episode of From John to Justin, where right now I'm looking at every single election in Canadian history for 36 days straight to coincide with the election Canada's going through right now. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have three other podcasts out there. Canadian History X, which releases every Wednesday and Saturday. Canada's Great War, which releases every single Sunday. And Coast to Coast, which releases every single Thursday. All are available on all podcast platforms. And I do all of them all the time, full time, every day. I do the writing, the research, everything. So, every dollar you give helps keep it all going, and I'll make sure to thank you on the air and through social media. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. The November 3rd, 1904 election was notable for three reasons. First, it would be the last election until 1949, in which parts of the Northwest Territories were granted representation, and it was the last election before the arrival of Alberta and Saskatchewan into Confederation. The most notable aspect, though, was that it pitted Sir Wilfrid Laurier and Robert Borden against each other. The two men, who were friendly rivals, would contest the next three elections against each other, while also leading their parties through the chaotic time of the First World War. Laurier would dissolve Parliament on September 29, 1904, triggering the election. The call for an election was met with disdain by some newspapers. The Nanaimo Daily News reported in its editorial, quote, Fearful that the rapid ebb of the tide of public favor will leave them stranded high and dry if they linger, the government have declared for an election before the good humor generated by bountiful harvest has evaporated, end quote. Once Parliament was dissolved to make way for the election, Borden would release an election manifesto in which he raised his concerns over the transportation, Western Division, and the equipping of national ports. He would state, quote, Our aim is to apply it for the common good of the people and for the conservation of the Canadian market for the Canadian producer. That honest industry and every legitimate calling may receive a just reward, that the toiler may enjoy in his own land full employment under conditions which ensure a just wage. End quote. One of the most contentious issues of the election were the railroads. Robert Borden opposed the plans of the Laurier government in 1903 to build two more transcontinental railways, the Canadian North and the Grand Trunk Pacific. While Borden agreed there needed to be transportation to the West, he felt having two railroads within a day's carriage ride of each other was a waste. He also wanted railroads that were owned and operated by the government, not private corporations. When the election was called, Borden would say the choice was between, quote, a government-owned railway or a railway-owned government, end quote. During one election rally, Borden would turn the words of the liberal motto of Laurier and the larger Canada and state that it should be Laurier in the larger United States. Laurier would attack government ownership of the railroad, which garnered some bad press in Western newspapers. The Western Tribune would write, quote, to attack government ownership as a Yankee notion is not only an appeal to prejudice, but it is an absurd insomuch as there is no country in the world where private ownership is more firmly established than in the United States. End quote. One man identified as a disgruntled liberal in Montreal stated, quote, The only two votes I ever cast in the Dominion election have been in favor of the Laurier government. 
but their attitudes on the railway question disgusted me. Their utter disregard of common sense in the whole Grand Trunk Pacific deal, to my mind, renders them unworthy to be trusted any longer with the administration of affairs of the Dominion. End quote. Norman Wilson, who would be elected as Liberal in 1904 and serve until 1908, countered the bad press during a meeting he was part of in Russell, Ontario, stating, quote, What positions had we in 1896? We were living alone, but today, the name of Canada is in every mouth. It was claimed that the Laurier government was not loyal, but is that so? End quote. Newspapers such as the Pall Mall Gazette would also praise Laurier and his government, stating, quote, Sir Wilfrid Laurier is a living embodiment of the spirit required in Canada. It looks as if he might have as long a spell of power as Sir John Macdonald. Not only is this French-Canadian but enthusiastic British imperialist statesman one of the most inspiring and useful personalities in the empire, but the election attempts to turn race feeling to his disadvantage have deserved severe defeat. End quote. Conservative candidates would try to drum up controversy regarding the sudden richness of several Liberal members of Parliament during the campaign. George Henderson would state, quote, Mr. Clifford Sifton came to Ottawa a poor lawyer with his creditors chasing after him and today he lives in a place which could not have cost less than $30,000. He does not even pull his blinds down, but it is a blaze of effrontery. The Liberal Party could not help themselves, end quote. On the day of the election, the Ottawa Morning Citizen printed in large headlines on its front page its support of the Conservatives, stating, quote, This is the day to emphasize that Canada belongs to Canadians and not to corporation grafters and Yankee railway manipulators. Vote today for a sound business principle for the building up of Canada, not as a nation simply, but as the most important beyond-the-seas bulwark of the great British Empire, end quote. The Citizen also published a report that members of the Liberal Party had printed circulars announcing a Conservative rally that did not exist, far from the polling stations. The newspaper would write, quote, This is but another example of the discreditable tactics that have marked the whole conduct of the Liberal campaign, a conduct, it may be stated, that is on parallel with their methods while in office. End quote. The election did appear to be busier than usual, with polling stations in Ottawa being described as having great energy. The Ottawa Journal reported, quote, Every cab in the city is out and each party has a large number of private rigs and several automobiles to bring out the careless voters. End quote. Of course, election betting continued once again and was widely reported with enthusiasm by the newspapers of the Dominion. The odds on October 31st were 3 to 1 on the Laurier government winning, and 1 to 1 that the opposition would not have as many seats in Ontario as before. In Windsor on November 2nd, the day before the election, the odds had increased to 4 to 1 for the government, and only one bet that day came in, $100 on Sutherland carrying his riding to a 150 majority. The day before, two men had made the same bet, wagering $500 each, even some companies would get in on the betting through the unique advertising. A.E. Lees and Company printed an advertisement in the Vancouver province that stated, quote, While betting is not to be commended, the enthusiasm of many real good citizens induces them to bet a hat on the result of an election, and it is just as well to make sure that if you win, you will win a real good hat, and if you lose, the hat will not cost one cent more than it ought to. This can be made certain by stipulating, as hosts of men do, that the hat shall be bought at Lee's. 
the Liberals once again increased their majority in the election, reaching 137 seats, an increase of nine from the previous election. The 137 seats at the time was the largest number of seats ever for a political party of Canada, beating the 134 seats won by the Conservatives in 1878 and 1882. It would also be the largest number of seats won by any non-unionist party until 1935. The newspapers the following day announced in bold letters on their front pages the huge win for the Liberal Party. The Victoria Daily Times would write, quote, Overwhelming triumph for Laurier government, end quote. The Ottawa Morning Citizen would announce, quote, Canada acclaims Laurier, majority is over 60, leader Borden fallen, end quote. And the Ottawa Journal would write, quote, there was probably never an election with fewer uncertainties. End quote. The Conservatives would fall by four seats to 75, and the Liberals also garnered over half the popular vote, 50.9%. The Liberals continued to have trouble defeating the Conservatives in Ontario, though, but they had improved their seat count, with 39 seats to the 47 won by the Conservatives. The Liberals would dominate in other provinces, winning every seat in British Columbia and Nova Scotia, and 53 seats in Quebec. Only two independents won any seats in the election. The Edmonton Journal would draw parallels between the 1904 election and the 1882 election, with both elections centered on the issue of the railroad and the fact that the country was prospering economically while the ruling party claimed credit for it. For Robert Borden, it was a tough election, not just because his party lost seats, but Borden lost his own seat in Nova Scotia in the liberal sweep of the province. One newspaper would write, quote, Borden's misfortune is regretted even by his opponents. His disappearance, though it may be only temporary, leaves a distinct gap. End quote. Borden would contemplate resigning, but he had grown to enjoy the recognition he received as party leader, and by Christmas he would decide to stay on as leader. That would benefit him greatly in only seven years' time. He would be back in the House of Commons when a vacancy was found in the Carlton riding, and Laurier arranged for Borden to be acclaimed. I hope you enjoyed that episode and our look at the 1904 election. Tomorrow, it's going to be 1908 as we continue our way through the 20th century. And as we start to get into the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, you can expect a lot more detail and a lot more archival audio. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. Again, if you like, you can support the podcast through Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking Donate. And I'd like to say thank you to all of my wonderful patrons. And if I mispronounce any names, I do apologize. Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romain, Dr. Bob Turner, one anonymous person who I really appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roy, Luke Guess, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, and Iris Gray. Information from Biography, Dynasties and Interludes, The Ottawa Citizen, Wikipedia, Ottawa Journal, Edmonton Journal, Windsor Star, and the Winnipeg Free Press. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.
Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.